Awesome. Thanks, Jack. And good morning and welcome. I'm so glad that I get to be with you this morning um, as we get to take a moment and to look at Scripture together and be impressed with our God and the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And so to that end, will you turn with me to Luke 24, 13 to 35? It's Luke 24, 13 to 35. And we'll be reading this whole passage this morning for some context and then zero in specifically on verses 21 to 27. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only, only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he took, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And thus ends this reading of God's true, inerrant, and infallible word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to your glory. We ask that you and your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that we might be not only impressed with you and amazed by you, but Lord, that you would change our lives, that you would let this word resonate with our heart in a way that causes growth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we spend a great deal of our lives 
hoping, and we hope in so many different ways and in so many different things. We hope often that we'll get a time to rest on weekends. Maybe we hope for a promotion at work, or we hope that a graduation will bring us a job that will pay well and enable a good life. We hope that our children will grow up to be healthy, that they would know Christ, that they would have peace and a good life. I'm sure that if I asked each and every one of you here this morning, if you were hoping for something, you would say, yes, there is something. Whether that be material hope, an emotional hope, or a spiritual hope, we all have hopes. And whether these hopes are godly or ungodly, good or bad, they show something about us. They highlight something deeper about us. This is because ultimately our hopes don't just stop at what is hoped for. They're outflows of what our hearts truly desire. And a hope for a new job might be rooted in the good desire to be able to stop worrying about tomorrow so much. It's rooted out of a desire to rest. Hoping that your children might grow up to know the Lord is rooted out of a desire of, of love. And it's a desire to show that love for them. You want the best for them. That you really want them to thrive and you want them to have eternal life. And you know that that can only happen with God. And so you hope. And hopes like these are good. The desires underneath these hopes are good. But what do we do when our good hopes don't materialize? What do we do when our good, God-given desires don't seem to be coming to fruition, when they go unfulfilled? And as we catch up with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that's exactly what they were discussing. So look with me again, if you will, at verse 21. Here the disciples are telling Jesus, even though they don't know it was Jesus yet, about the events that had transpired in the preceding days. And they say, but we had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They knew the promises of God. They knew that God had promised a redeemer. And they had hoped and rightly hoped that Jesus Christ would be that redeemer. But then Christ was crucified. And let's pause here for a moment, because today there's a tendency to look at this passage and not feel the weight that the disciples felt. Because the disciples were walking along this road not knowing it was Jesus beside them. But we do. We have the luxury of reading this and seeing, oh, it's Jesus there. And so we don't say this, this hope seems unfulfilled because Christ is already in the story to us. We know the end. We've read the Bible. But Cleopas and his fellow disciple on the road to Emmaus didn't know that yet. And to them, their hope had died right along Christ at that cross in some way. And yet the story doesn't stop, right? The disciples go on in verse 21 saying, and what is more, it is the third day since this took place. They knew what we know from Luke 18, that Christ had taken the disciples aside and he had said that he was going to be delivered over and he was going to be whipped and scorned and spat upon and crucified, but that the third day he would raise again. And Luke 18 tells us that the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But here, it seems that they have been clued in because they're like, something was supposed to happen on the third day. But here we are, it is the third day and there is no Jesus. 
And as if on a roll of disappointment, the disciples go on to say that the women who had come to them and proclaimed that Christ had been risen, that they had seen angels, that the tomb was empty. When the disciples went to check it out, it's true, the tomb was empty, but there was still no Jesus. And at best, this was a hope abrogated in a sense to them. Like, or at worst, it was a hope ab- abrogated. At best, it was just a hope that was confusing and they didn't know what to do with because it's true, there was no body in the tomb, but there was still no Jesus. These men on the road to Emmaus had good hopes. They had pinned their hope on the good promises of God. And yet in that moment, they stood bereft because they had been three times disappointed as each of their hopes had gone unfulfilled. And then Christ speaks again. In verse 25, he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Luke goes on to say that Christ began with Moses and explained to them what is said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a fascinating move by our Savior. He was standing there beside him, beside them as they walked. All he had to do was say, I'm here. And they would have looked up and they would have seen him and they would have seen hope there. But yet he points them to scripture. He doesn't reveal himself right then. He reminds them of God's plan. He reminds them that there was an anchor to their hope that seemed far away. And that hope was in scripture. He points them to God's word instead of just simply saying in the moment, here I am. And I believe that this was in part to help them grow. Because by pointing to scripture, he shows that he himself fulfilled scripture. He builds the disciples' faith. And in Hebrews 11, we're reminded that faith is confidence in what we hope for and that it is assurance of what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Christ was building up this faith. He says to the disciples, look at Moses. Look at the prophets. Look at these scriptures you have believed in. And he builds up their faith there. He wants them to remember that faith. He wants them to remember the law and the prophets that they have trusted in. And he wants the disciples to see scripture for what it is, which is the true, unerring, faithful word of God to us. And through this, he shows them and us that scripture is not just a bunch of words on a page. Instead, it is the vibrant, true, an applicable word of God. And we can place our hope in it. We can have faith that what it says is true. And because of this, we can go there when we're disappointed. We can go there when our hopes seem dead and dashed. And we can find truth there within its pages. We can trust it. And why can we trust it? Because Christ has fulfilled it. Luke says that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and be raised and enter his glory. And so it was. All of scripture indeed points us to Christ. He is the linchpin upon which all of the pages turn. He is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He is the perfect high priest who can intercede with God on our behalf. He is the ultimate all-knowing, all-wise king who can rule with justice and equality in a way that no earthly ruler can. And we can trust him and we can trust scripture 
because of the resurrection, because Christ has fulfilled scripture. So today, as you sit this morning, as we enjoy Easter together and we're reminded of God's glory outside here, where are your hopes? Are they alive and well? Or are they a little bit dashed this morning, even as you came? Do you feel defeated and frustrated and weary even as you want to come and worship and be with God's people? I would encourage you to look to Christ. Look to where Christ pointed the disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is scripture. Because Christ's resurrection undergirds all that is within these pages. His resurrection validates all that was prophesied here. And his resurrection gives hope to all who are weary, to us who are weary. So the question becomes, do we read scripture? When was the last time you really just dug in and read it? When was the last time you thought, I feel sad and I need God's word? Or I feel angry or depressed or thwarted and I need God's word? The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple And Psalm 18 says that scripture binds us up. It's our help and it's our comfort. And the psalmist there says, you provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. That's the promise of God. That is the hope of the resurrection, that God's word that is true and fulfilled will bind us up, that it provides a path for us to walk on that is clear and easy and he will uphold us on. And if you haven't made it a priority to read God's word, now is the time. So pray and ask that God would make its meaning plain to you. Ask for insight, for comfort, and for truth, and dive in because truth is there. Comfort and insight and peace are there. And I should clarify, this doesn't mean that God will suddenly make everything better. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, all of our worries and cares and sins will just go away. Although he does forgive sins, that is true. But we still struggle with the effects of sin. We're still assaulted by temptations. We're still assailed by sickness and death and wrong. But God promises us that there will be hope. There is hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians tells us that if Christ had not been raised, then our faith is futile. It says that you are still in your sins then, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ would still be dead and they're lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But this is not the case. We are not to be pitied. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive, and so our hope is alive. And what is this living hope? It's that we will be with him in the end. That he will make all things right. That those sins that we struggle with, he will make right. He will make no more. The bumps and bruises, the cares and worries of this world, he has borne upon his shoulder. And in the end, they will be no more and we will be with him as his people and we will be made whole and take a moment we will be made whole 
Think what that would look like. We will be with Christ forever whole. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is where we are headed, to an imperishable inheritance with Christ. So when things are hard and when you struggle to get up one more morning and go into work, when you struggle to get up and make breakfast for your kids or just have quiet time and read God's word, when you can't stop worrying, when you have good hopes that seem thwarted, remember this, Christ came and he died and he rose to fulfill scripture. He did this so that you might have life in him, so that you might know and trust him and trust his words in scripture, and so that you might have hope. And just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who had been disappointed over and over and over again, Christ came so that you might trust him and have your hope renewed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we indeed worship you, and we ask that you would renew our hope, that you would make our hearts alive again in you, that you would give us the peace and comfort and assurance that comes with the knowledge that you, in fact, are God, that you have done what you have said you have done, and that you have made us alive as your children and as people who are yours forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.